uh, time to uh, remember the human condition, common human condition, Dhamma, uh, law. And the law is we live in birth deaths. We kind of call it life, but actually it's it's really its real name is birth and death. <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> and uh, in this experience of birth and death, there's this possibility, this opening to the deathless. This is kind of the human condition. We're in birth. This is in birth death. It's a possibility for entering into the deathless and, and the Buddha says this is through seeing it the world as it really is uh, life as it really is experience as it really is uh, and uh, that involves often a you know like a filtering or a pruning way of the the undergrowth and things that cloak and uh, obscure uh, our awareness of the human condition. We get lost in the details and uh, the personal individuality of it all with its intensities and its its isolation and its uh, conundrums and its circumstances. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at some of these um, suttas and I was looking at the, one of the sayings, a series of sayings of the, the elder nuns, the Arahant nuns and the Arahant monks called the Arahant nuns is the Teris. There's a collection called the Terigata. And, and in these verses, um, they're all gathas, which are like verses. Some of these nuns describe their insights or experience, yeah, what they've come through, or what they've realized. This one is the sixth, second sutta, second suttas of the sixes. So this means there's six verses in it. This is from the called Vaseti, Vaseti the Mad Woman. This is her story in brief. Overwhelmed with grief for my son, naked, demented. My hair dishevelled, my mind deranged. I went about here and there, living along the side of the road in cemeteries and heaps of trash for three full years, afflicted with hunger and thirst. Then I saw the one well gone. This is the Tathagata, the Buddha. Gone to the city of Mithila, tamer of those untamed, self-awakened, with nothing to fear from anything, anywhere. Regaining my mind, paying him homage, I sat myself down. He, Gautama, out of empathy, taught me the Dhamma. Hearing his Dhamma, I went forth into homelessness, applying myself to the teacher's words. I realized the state of auspicious bliss. All griefs have been cut off 
abandoned, brought to this end, for I've comprehended the grounds from which grief comes into play. So that's a very brief outline of her her story. Uh, these are raw times, you can imagine. And uh, when we look in, in the suttas or yeah, you, you don't get very far before you hear some of these uh, uh, corpses, you know, seeing a maggot eaten corpse, a corpse chewed by crows. You know, the monks are dragging cloths off these corpses to wear. <laughs> uh, some monk is sick, dying. Oh, well, yeah, he's sick, he's dying. You know, um, you know giving him some get a bit of energy, a bit of you know encouragement as this person's passing away, you know, racked by pains and so forth. And the Buddha's saying, "Rise up, rise up!" You know, <laughs> these are raw times, and not just for the the monks, but also for the uh, the whole society. You know, kings, brutal kings, you know, vicious sentences meted out to criminals. Obviously, sickness, famine, very raw times, and the experience of vulnerability, absolutely right there. Um, this is where the Buddha lived, and of course, the Buddha um, living in himself in a very open, vulnerable state, and in fact, you know, passing away in pretty uncomfortable circumstances on the level of body, birth and death. Mm. So that's, uh, you know, well, that's, despite, you know, all that kind of incredible rawness and vulnerability, they're somehow able to, you know, practice and say, well, actually, it's not despite the vulnerability, it's because of the vulnerability. <laughs> It's both an ongoing incentive to practice because you pretty get a pretty good clear with what the birth death system's about, but also uh, something else. You know, uh, the vulnerability means there's not much padding to shed. <laughs> there's not much, um, not many places to go to you know avoid. There's not many places where you can um, plan. So in fact, the nakedness, or the thinness, of the, 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 the vulnerability is actually conduced to a certain openness, which is the more uh, positive and uh, resourced sense of, of vulnerability. It means we're open, we're open because we're not covered up. Yeah. And, of course, when we get these hits of fear, as we do, grief, fear of something that might be happening, fear of being hurt, physically, psychologically, fear of what might happen in the future, uh, will I be okay, will they like me, will they accept me, you know, will I be... Uh, seen in a negative light, we can create a lot of fear around that, anxiety. 
and uh, grief over what happened, um, uh, passions, uh, rage, get infuriated, all this, we lose our mind in these. You know, we, we seemingly have got a mind, we're still able to function, but we've, we, sorry, we've, we've lost it. We're actually in these uh, flooding experiences. And they're pretty primary. Has anybody not had grief? And fear? And rage? And what happens is that when these, un these wrenching experiences happen to us, this woman's lost her, her son, is the mind just activates. And its activations get so so congested because they can't find a result. You can't say, "Well, bring him back." You know, I'll do this. I'll I'll make something happen. It'll come back. You know, or, um, I'll do this now. If it feels secure, I'll get one of these now. Feel comfortable. Can't do it. So it just bounces up against this, and it it gets more and more tangled and panicking. And as we can see, as people this day and age crack up because they're getting these signals of activation that can't activate, can't complete themselves. We can't resolve the, the sorrow or the fear or whatever. So the mind begins to overload and then things go crazy. And in this case, deranged. So she's three years out of her head. Uh, naked, demented, mind deranged running around, living on trash heaps. Yeah. Uh, you think, wow, that's why surely. Unfortunate woman, she's no hope. Yeah. Buddha comes along. Well, that's <laughs> what happened. <laughs> what happened for her? I think the Buddha must have had, you know, huge presence. Uh, but and he, one of the, this isn't the only one of these stories. Um, another occasion, he says, "Stop! Remember where you are." It's just that. Remember where you are. Stop. Remember where you are. Actually, directly, kind sympathetic not stop feeling that way but remember where you are just that sense of a presence reaching in and steadying out of concern out of empathy and the power of that for in this the buddha did this you know, i think that was a lot of what he was about really just stopping these these activations. Of course, the other <coughs> one of the other famous incidents is with the serial killer Angulimala, killing nine hundred ninety-nine people. Obviously, completely berserk, uh, and he's going to kill, trying to get his thousandth person. And he sees Buddha, sees his mother. He's going to kill his own mother, which would have been. 
you know. So he sees, Buddha sees him about to kill his mother, he thinks, I'd better get in there, because if he kills his mother, he's really in trouble. So I'll intervene. So that's pretty <laughs> Buddha obviously did not have any fear. This man is a you know, renowned serial killer. The Buddha walks right in front of him. Okay, follow me. And uh, angry mom's trying to get after him to kill him. I mean, you know, the Buddha says, uh, and he can't catch up with him. And he says, stop, why are you, why are you running away? Stop, stop, stop. And the Buddha says, turns around and says, I've stopped. You stop. Stop now. Stop. And Gurimara goes down on his knees. I've stopped taking life. Yeah. You stop. There's the power of stop. The power of pause. And the mind is thrown back into balance. Then, ready to hear the Dhamma. So the Buddha, of course, just having that living presence there. And people clearly because they don't have a lot of padding, you know, they're pretty skin, you know, light skin, you know, immediately get it. You know, kings go down on their knees. Uh, people hear a teaching and they're just because they don't have a lot of well maybe this and that and they go, well, I don't know what I'm going to do about this and what do you think about that you know <laughs> they just get the hit and their mind is set straight and this is part of the uh, I think part of the the kind of precarious gift of vulnerability is when you don't have a lot of alternatives a lot of uh, uh, ways out, a lot of reasons, a lot of things to then you know, you're much more open to a direct, direct transmission, direct teaching, which stops the activations. And the Buddha, of course, when he said, When I pass away, the Dhamma is going to be your teacher, so you can remember certain things, reflect, remember constantly, use the sign of death as something that just. You know, taps your mind. Use the sign of uh, Buddha as something that taps your mind. When you get into grief and sorrow and hopelessness, remember Buddha. Remember that. When you get into passion and excitement and ambition, remember death. Yeah. These are stoppers. And when you get into to hopelessness, remember loving kindness. Stop. Hold yourself with goodwill when you're in that, you know. Seek that, you know. If you can't find yourself, seek it in another. If you need another to remind you, that's what others are for. That's what we're for, to remind each other of these signs. And these signs are like the tap that, oh, oh yeah, right. Oh, thanks, yeah. <laughs> we... 
brings you back into upright. They're not final truths in themselves. So, you know, if the Buddha's teaching us death, it's not because he wants to make us miserable. It's just to tap the mind from its endless future, future, future is going to be, future, I want to be, you know, it just taps it. And everything is delivered with this mind of anukampa. So it's like, um, and this was the reason why, the, or the whole spirit of how the Buddha teaches. The Buddha teaches out of anukampa. Anukampa, often translated as compassion. Um, but the root of it is to, to shiver or to resonate. Um, and this is, of course, what Vaseti gets. She gets this sense of something you know, resonating. The Buddha teaches out of this. So, the Buddha teaches through pointing to mortality, pointing to loving-kindness, pointing to, to transcendence. Everything that touches it is doing it from a mind of empathy. And it's that the quality of what's delivered and the means in which it's delivered uh, come together. And so the transmission of the Dharma is both sometimes sharp, sometimes soft, but it's always with a mind of empathy, fellow feeling, uh, sympathy. And this is clearly what the Buddha was expressing and manifesting in this instance. Uh, and the, uh, the result of that is that from that activated state where this person's in deranged state, the mind comes upright, and the first sign that arises is a quality called sattā, which is translated as faith. Faith means essentially the heart, which has been in a very sort of contracted, activated state, opens. It's not doing anything. It's not working anything out. It's not trying to make something happen. It's tr not trying to get away from anything. It's just opening in itself. I think this is the main hinge point, whereas the unawakened state, we're trying to find an answer to our, our problem, yeah, whatever it is. The hinging is, you don't find an answer to the problem, you return to the chitta and open it and see what comes forth. Another view can occur, which is the view which has the potential for the deathless, whereas the un untrained mind is searching for an answer in the realm of birth and death. And the trainee enters through faith and looking for a result in the world of, in the realm of the deathless. And there's an interesting description of this process in the Sangyutta Nikaya, and this is the 23rd Sutra of the Nidana Sangyutta, where the Buddha describes dependent origination, and he gets down, to, as you know, ignorance, Sankara's consciousness, name, form, and so forth, down to craving, and then clinging, becoming, birth, suffering. And he says, then with suffering as approximate cause, 
there is faith. <laughs> you know, you think, what? So, instead of with suffering as a proximate cause, there is panic. No, there is faith. That means it could hinge that way. We stop. We see there's no way forward. There's no way backwards. There's no way out. So, instead of going in this direction, the mind opens. Oh, this is the quality of faith. With faith as a proximate cause, gladness. With gladness as a proximate cause, rapture. With rapture, tranquility. With tranquility, happiness. With happiness, concentration, collectedness. With concentration, the knowledge and vision of, of things as they really are. With the knowledge and things as they really are, as proximate cause, disenchantment, dispassion, ceasing, nibbana liberation so the dukkha of our lives can either send us into spins or if we're open it can turn in faith to the chitta itself and it's the chitta that has the possibility the potential for the release into deathlessness Whereas the thinking mind will tend to keep moving along in the realm of causes and conditions. With faith you move out of causes and conditions, out of seeking answers, out of finding out why. You stop. Okay, listen up. This is the stopper, the stopping point. And some of you may know, you know, Certainly I've had a few near-death experiences and one that is accounted as when I was being attacked by bandits in Bihar with axes who were about to knock my head off with an axe. I didn't have any preparation on this. Well, I guess I have been preparing in some ways because I live in the realm of birth. I know I'm living in birth death and death is, you know, is right there. So it looks like it's coming with an axe. So what do you do? Well, this time, this isn't a rational decision. Then you look after the chitta. This is the only thing you can escape. And fear is the thing that chokes the chitta. And grief is the thing that clouds the chitta. And rage is the thing that turns the chitta upside down. There's no point. This is not the time to get started getting angry and get violent. This is not time to start weeping and wailing. This is not the time to get frozen with fear. This is the time to open the chitta and just say, okay, we go. I take my faith with me. Yeah? This is what, you know, I take my faith with me. We go. I go in faith. I live in faith. Huh? And, um, and clearly we kind of worked, as you can see. <laughs> no, still there. <laughs> yeah. Now, of course, this is not saying you live recklessly, uh, right? just being silly about what you're doing. But um, 
you know, there's things you can, you don't leave the path. So between the realm of birth and death on one level and the deathless, we live the path which keeps both those in mind. This is the Eightfold Path. So, you know, because a lot of the time we're not that, apparently that vulnerable. But the path keeps us in that state of preparedness whereby you're recognising the potential cause and effect, comma, and you're realising what you should really be frightened of is ignorance. Because that's something that's a reasonable fear that you can do something about. You can't do much about, eventually, about death. But you can do something about ignorance. That's the one you should really fear. And is ignorance activates. From ignorance arises sankara. Vichapachya Sankara, they infect consciousness, then you're right in it all. So at that point, you wake up and open up, listen, be attentive, be alert, know what you can turn to. So in our lives, we have obviously we we're looking after this form out of sympathy. We move with a mind of goodwill. You should always, in terms of your actions, leading with this sense of empathy, sympathy, move with a mind of goodwill. What you do, you try to bring your goodwill with you. Don't move from a mind of fear, desperation, um, panic. Move with a mind of goodwill. Because at that point of faith, you begin to see there's a possibility to turn the life message so that instead of, well, I, what I don't know I should be frightened of, uh, that's the vulnerable mind. The open mind says, what I don't know could be a blessing. It could be that the person I'm worrying about could be a joy. You know? The occasion I'm planning and thinking well I'd be good enough for could be welcoming. But if I don't clear my ignorance, I'll carry my fear and grief with me. If I clear my ignorance, then there's a possibility of seeing the grief. I was blessed. You know, someone entered my life for five years, one year, ten years, fifty years, twenty years. What more could I ask for? I I have no control over the world of birth and death. Hmm? So we feel a sense of gratitude, we feel a sense of compassion, we feel a sense of faith, and we follow the teacher. Therefore, our lives can live with one foot in the world of birth and death, you know, carrying this body along and doing what we need to do, and with our eyes clear. And this is the <laughs> a nice little very simple result of uh, this uh, cultivation of vulnerability openness this is a 
devatas asking, well, why are these people who live so simply and so vulnerably living in the forest, you know, with not much to look after them, not much, you know, not much protection, why do they, why they look so bright and cheerful? And the Buddha said, they do not sorrow over the past. Nor do they hanker for the future. They maintain themselves with what arises in the present. Therefore, their, their faces are serene and radiant. Through hankering for the future, through sorrowing over the past, the unguided mind dries up and withers away like a green reed cup down so even when there's actually no right now threat danger just through soaring over the past hankering for the future we don't rest balance in the present because of that fear of vulnerability which sends the mind into these very uh, compulsive activations. And when this stuff happens, as we get touched by loss and, you know, don't want to be blamed and so forth, you get touched by that and the mind starts to quiver. You keep, you know, touching into where you feel there's some ground whether it's your body, the image. I remember when I was sitting in this forest in Thailand with you know, tigers in it, and I could sense this tiger coming towards me. It wasn't actually a tiger, but it seemed like it. As far as I was concerned, it was pretty real. And I remember I just realized there's no escape. My, my, my awareness pinned itself in my spine and opened up to reach out to a star, there was this star that just did this immense span from the base of my spine up to a star. I just sat in that and the fear disappeared. There was no activation, just an incredible steadiness and energy running through the form. And this is how this, uh, because, because of no escape. So we live our life, we bring out, remember to bring the Dhamma in, we reflect upon change, impermanence, and using this, the qualities, remember the teacher. Stop. Stop. Where are you? you know, remember your mind. Remember your chitta. Remember your heart. Open. Find the ground. Open up. Listen. Follow. Follow the sign of. The, follow the path of the deathless. This is our advice, and it begins with faith. It moves with gladness. We feel a sense of uplift, and that's the sign. That you should follow.
So I'll offer this for your reflection.